of our days, Lord, that you would lead and guide and direct every step of our lives. Father, we love you so much. We pray, Lord, as we go to your word right now, that you would be our teacher. And that, Father, it would not be the words of men, but your Holy Spirit would minister to every heart that's here. I thank you for every person that you've brought here by divine appointment. That nobody's here by chance. And, Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would just do a mighty and an awesome work in every single heart. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said... Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Santa Cruz. It's great to have you here. I hope you feel welcome. Even if it's your first time, you need to know that we're all family. When you got Jesus in common, you got everything in common. Amen? All right, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Um, here at Calvary Chapel, we just go verse by verse right through the Bible. If you're here this morning and you don't have a Bible with you, please raise your hand. We'll be happy to loan you a Bible. Raise your hand right over here. Anybody else? Yeah, you see the hands up, Manny will help. And again, if you need to take that home, consider that a gift from us. We'd love for you to have it as our, as our gift, so please take it home if you need it. We're going to pick up this morning looking at Acts chapter 13, and we're going to begin in verse 42, but I really feel led this morning to kind of spend a few moments talking again about what the book of Acts is really all about and how it really applies to us as a church. You know, the book of Acts is... The title of it is the Acts of the Apostles, but it could also be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit or, or even the Acts of the First Century Church. Because what we see in the book of Acts is the beginning or the birthing of the church. What had happened is that, the, that Jesus had ascended back into heaven. He's gone away. He's gone back to be with the Father. And he, when He left, He gave them some instructions. Now this last uh, Friday, I was at a pastor's meeting over in San Jose with a bunch of the Northern California pastors. And and Damien Cowell from Modesto was talking about this. And, you know, what is the reason that church exists? What is the purpose for the church? Why do we have church? And we can ask that question and we'll probably get a lot of different answers. But the reality is that the church exists to fulfill the Great Commission. Jesus said right before He ascended back into heaven, when He was leaving, He said to the apostles, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things which I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always until the end of the age. So He, he called them and said, guys, your job is to go out and make disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is a learner. And a disciple is somebody who learns and grows to the point that they begin to duplicate themselves. They fall so in love with the Lord and have such an intimate relationship with Him that they start reaching out to those around them and start duplicating themselves. And so, with that calling, we know God always equips. You know, God doesn't call us to do things and then leave us wanting. So what He did in the beginning of Acts is He sent the person of the Holy Spirit. He said in Acts chapter 1, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And He told them to wait. And then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they became bold witnesses for Him. And Peter went from being Mr. Lopping off ears and napping when he should have been praying to, to Mr. Boldness for the Kingdom of God. Mr. Running and Hiding to Mr. Man of Great Faith. And what was the difference in Peter? It was the Holy Spirit coming upon him. And I believe that's one of the key elements in the, in the church today is that we need to be a church that is filled with the Spirit of the living God. Amen? Too easy to do programs, too easy to try to do things in our own ability, too easy to try to copy what somebody's doing, but the example that we have is the first century church. And it's so key that we be baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
We're called to make disciples, but it's impossible if the Lord doesn't go before us. And then he sends them out to evangelize the lost and dying world. Now, the reality is you can't have, con- you can't have disciples until you have converts. We must have a burden for the lost. Jesus is the Son of the living God, and He came to seek and save that which was lost. I'm so glad, aren't you? Because He saved me. And He saved you if you're born again. And so that needs to be our heart and that needs to be our passion. And that was the heart and the passion in the book of Acts. And then later in chapter 2, it said this is what the church does. And it was four very simple things. They were steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, which is the teaching of God's Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by? Word of God. It's God's Word that transforms lives, not the opinions of men. It's not programs and pageants. It's God's Word. And so the first century church was filled with the Spirit of the living God. They were sent out to evangelize the lost world. And they had a passion and a focus on teaching God's Word. Along with the apostles' doctrine, they were to continue in fellowship. When I think of fellowship, I think of an environment where people love one another. And they encourage each other. And can I tell you, I just want you to know, if you don't know it when you got here, God loves you so incredibly much that He would rather die than live without you. That's the God we serve. He loves you. And it's while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He doesn't love you because you're perfect. He doesn't love you because you try real hard. And He doesn't even love you because you come to church. He loves you because you're His child. How many parents do we have here? How much do you love your kids? God loves you infinitely more than that. And that fellowship should happen. When we come here together as brothers and sisters in Christ, we should just be loving on each other. The greatest compliment I get, and I hear it often about our church, is, man, you guys love each other. And I say, praise the Lord. Because in the first century, they were steadfast in the Word, and they were steadfast in fellowship. And it also says they were steadfast in the breaking of bread, which is communion, but what it really points to is keeping the cross before the people. Making sure that we keep our eyes on the cross, because that's where salvation comes from. And then lastly, prayer. These are things that the first century church did, and these are things that should be the model for our church today. Not the latest book that we read or the latest you know, growth movement, but what does the Bible say? It's the Word. It's fellowship. It's communion and breaking of bread. It's prayer. Only possible when filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what's going on in Acts. And that's what we're going to be seeing today is these guys are going out filled with the Spirit of the living God with a passion to fulfill the Great Commission. And I love the fact that it says they were people of prayer. And I want to encourage you that prayer is an expression of our total dependence upon God. That's what prayer is. Prayer doesn't change God's mind, it changes our hearts. And as we pray, we just say, Lord, we can't do it without you. Lord, we are so desperate for you. Lord, help. Great prayer. Amen? And so that's what was going on in the first century church. And that's kind of the the setting that we have when we come to chapter 13. Now when we get to chapter 13, we've seen the church has radically grown and we've seen that, that they finally go out and begin to evangelize the world through persecution. They hung out in Jerusalem for as many as 10 years and it wasn't until persecution came that then they started going out into other cities. When a, when a man by the name of Saul started wreaking havoc and they started running out of town and Satan thought he was winning and instead what he did was he created the evangelistic plan. He sent people out and they started sharing their faith everywhere they went. The church began to grow. And they reached all of Jerusalem. And then Philip went out and went into, and, and went into Judea and Samaria. And the whole city believed. And, and now we come to that final phase. As we've seen in the, this first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas, that they're going out and reaching the rest of the known world. Now some things we saw 
in the first part of chapter 13, just real quickly to catch you up, is one, in fulfilling the Great Commission, they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They weren't elected by men, they were sent out by God. Too often, we're waiting for a man to come and tell us what we're supposed to do. Some of you get frustrated with me. Pastor Dave, just tell me what I'm supposed to do. I'm probably not going to do that. Because if I tell you what to do, then you're doing what I... You know, and if the Lord gives me a word for you, I believe me, I'll come and share. But the reality is that we need to let the Lord direct us and the Lord send us and respond to the Holy Spirit's work in our life. And that's what we see these guys doing. The Holy Spirit sent them out and the, the men agreed and said, yes, this is God. And they laid hands on them and they sent them out. And it's important because we're going to look today, the title of today's message is Fruitfulness and Persecution. Because when we go out filled with the Spirit of the living God and we're obedient to the Lord, there is going to be fruit and God's going to do great things, but there's also going to be difficulty. But if we know that we've been sent by God, we can continue on and persevere. The second thing that we saw in them last week when they were filled with the Holy Spirit is that they didn't, they didn't back out when a co-laborer did. Remember John Mark went home. John Mark said, hey, I wasn't into this program. I didn't realize we're going to face such stiff opposition. I didn't realize people were going to get after us, man. I just, you know, I thought I was going to go hang out with my cousin Barnabas, and I didn't realize, I'm, I'm out of here. I, I didn't sign up for this program. And too often we can get discouraged when others bail out. But God said, you be faithful what God's called you to do no matter what anybody else does. Amen? God is for us who can be against us. Lord, let me, let me serve you. You're the reason I'm going, not because my buddy's going to be there. And so they continued to, to be steadfast, and they continued to share the word. And then they went to the Jews, and they started in the synagogue, and they began with what they had in common. And they took them to the Old Testament. If you were here last week, and he took them right through the Old Testament, and, and to, took the Old Testament scriptures and pointed them directly to Jesus Christ. When he got all done, he, he went through Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus right through real quick, and then he just said, and it's all about Jesus. So he started with what they had in common and he brought them to the Savior. I want to encourage us when we share our faith, start with what we have in common and bring them to the cross. If they believe that there is a God, start there. If they go to church somewhere, say, that's great, you're seeking to know the true, that's great. Start with what you have in common and bring them to the cross. So we see that, that as they went out, that, it's, that some were saved, but then there was hatred and there was violence and there was bitterness we're going to see quite often in the ministry that where there's great fruit, there comes great persecution. And I've said this before, Satan's resources are limited. Who's he going to attack? Those who God is using the most. And so we see that these guys go out and we're going to watch. I want you to see this, that, that as they go out, they're going to face persecution, but they're not going to waver. And I'll tell you why, as we go through, why I believe they don't waver. And why we as Christians can serve God with our whole heart, and no matter what opposition we face, we can be steadfast. So let's begin in verse 42. And we're again going to look at fruitfulness and persecution. And we're going to see that in response to what the message had brought in Antioch, and these guys are, with an eternal focus are, have been sharing their faith, and look what happens to them, beginning in verse 42 of Acts chapter 13. So they've just shared in Antioch. We've seen some people have come to know God. He ends by warning those, hey, you despisers, you, if you don't listen, there's going to be consequences. We pick up in verse 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. So the Jews went out, a vast majority of these religious leaders went out and were not responding to the word. But there were those in the, the background who weren't even the focal point of the message who said, boy, could you share that with us? It's amazing how sometimes we go to minister to someone 
And the person that's listening is really the one that God is using that message for. You ever had that happen before? You're sharing your faith with somebody, they just don't want to hear it. I've done that. I'll tell you a place where it happens a lot is on airplanes. Airplane, I'm witnessing to the guy across the, the aisle from me, and he just doesn't want to hear it. And I'm talking to him for two, and finally the lady in front turns around with tears running down her eyes and says, can you tell me about this Jesus you're talking about? Sometimes we think the message is right here and God's got another plan. His word doesn't return void. These go out and they're ministering to the Jews because that's where they're called to go first. They have, Jesus, they have the, the Old Testament in common. They're trying to bring them to the cross. And for the most part, the Jews are rejecting it. But the, the Greeks or the Gentiles are right there saying, Hey, could you come and tell us about this? Come and bring that message to us. We want to hear it. And so they went out and they began to share with the Gentiles. Verse 43, Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the God of grace. So there were some of the Jews that followed them, and they turned to the Jews, and what did they tell the Jews to do? They said, guys, pursue the grace of God. He's a God of grace, not religion. He's a God of, of love and mercy and forgiveness, not a God of rules and rituals. And too often today, we want to make God this God who just puts you in a box and takes stuff away from you and makes you be disciplined so that He'll love you. That's not the God we serve. When He died on the cross, He said, it is finished, to Talestai, right? It's all been paid for. And we walk in His grace. And sadly, this region is where Galatia is. And we know that the Galatian church would be heavy duty into rules and rituals. And he says, guys, continue in God's grace. Can I encourage you? Walk in God's grace. Walk in the grace of God. Know that He loves you. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. And that they were going to get caught up in, well, you've got to be circumcised, and you've got to keep these rules, and you've got to do all these things. And God said, continue in God's grace. Verse 44. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the Word of God. I love this. In one week, the word had spread throughout the entire city. The people who heard it said, they're going to come back on the Sabbath and tell us, let's go get all of our friends and bring them with us. This is passion. This is what the Holy Spirit does in the life of people. He's drawing them. And they run out and say, come and see. They're being Andrews and Phillips. Come and see. Many of them not even knowing the truth yet, but the whole city shows up. And when the Holy Spirit is moving in a mighty way, God can turn an entire city upside down. Boy, my prayer is that for Santa Cruz. How about you? Don't you want to see God just bring revival to this city? Don't you want to, you know, Santa Cruz, Holy Cross, don't you want it to be known as a place where God is, is magnified and lifted up? And sometimes we look and we think, that's impossible. Right? We think, this is Santa Cruz. Right? I mean, this is the tofu place and tie-dye and, you know, hugging trees and worshiping whales and, you know, go your own path, whatever, dude, as long as it's good for you, right? That's Santa Cruz. But can't God bring revival here? And may it start in our hearts first. And that whole city came. The whole city showed up to hear the gospel. Man, I love that. They all came together. Verse 45. But when the Jews saw the multitude, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blasphemy, and they opposed the things spoken by Paul. So here we have a perfect example. You have the fruit of the crowds gathering to hear the word of God, and then here comes the persecution right behind it. You're sharing your faith at work, and there's somebody at work that really wants to hear it, and then somebody goes and tells your boss that you're walking around talking about God at work. 
You know, it's amazing how when you're sharing your faith and God's using you mightily, that there's always some opposition that steps up. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you for my name's sake, for so they did the prophets who went before you. Blessed means happy. Oh, how happy are you. You know what? That means God's using you guys. Amen? What a blessing. God's using me. And so they go in, the whole city gathers, and the Jews go, hey, this isn't going to be good for our gig. You know, they think we're the righteous and holy ones. If, they find, if he gives them the message he gave us that they can be made holy and that Jesus died for them, we're going to look like the, the ones who killed the Messiah. And we're, oh, we can't have this. We've got to say something. And they begin to persecute them. Understand that persecution, though, what did it do to these guys? Look at verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas ran away and hid because they were afraid. Is that what it says? Then Paul and Barnabas grew what? bold. Persecution brings boldness. I truly believe that's true. You know, most of you know I was just in India. These guys are under the threat of constant violence every single day that they walk around as Christians. If they don't have the mark on their forehead, if they don't have the marks of Hinduism, if they're not doing the things that this largely Hindu nation does, they often are beaten. And there's even some that die for just being Christians. But I want to tell you what, I've never met people with greater joy and a greater passion for God and greater boldness for the Lord than these guys. Because with persecution, I believe, comes increased boldness. You know why? Because you can't be lukewarm in that kind of environment. You can't just tiptoe with the Lord when in that environment. You're either going to walk away or you're going to say, charge. And that's what they did, and that's what Paul and Barnabas did. They came and they started blaspheming and contradicting them and, and, and attacking them. And what did they do? They grew in boldness. I'm serving the Lord. I'm honoring Him. He called me. His Holy Spirit sent me. I'm not going to back down because a few men are attacking me. This is the same, you know, these are the, the, the men now standing boldly for God where the disciples prior to Pentecost would have run and hid. But now because of the Holy Spirit being upon these men, these are two different men, they're not the apostles, but these are men being used by God, they stand with great boldness. And it says, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but you, since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. Now, how do you really feel, Paul? What do you think? He, he says, look, I brought you guys first, but because you're rejecting it and you find yourselves unworthy of eternal life, that's okay. We're just going to go over here and share it with the Gentiles instead. Basically saying, if you guys choose to reject God, and you guys choose to, to choose your own destination, which is weeping and gnashing of teeth and separated from God for all eternity, well, you can do, I brought the message to you. I've been faithful and diligent to bring it to you. If you're going to reject it, we'll take it to those who want to hear it. You know what we find in the Bible? God will never force Himself on anyone. God will not force you to be a Christian. Not going to get you in a headlock and give you noogies till you give in, right? Say uncle. Say savior. Come on, savior. Come on, say it, right? God doesn't do that. He loves you and he reaches out to you in love and wants you to have a relationship with him that responds in love. And if they reject him, he'll go to those who have a heart to receive it. Verse 47. For so the Lord had commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. He then quotes Isaiah 42. And tells them that the, the great commission to reach the world, both Jews and Gentiles, was something that was prophesied by Isaiah the prophet. And they were directed by the Holy Spirit, and they were doing exactly what God called them to do, and they quote Scripture that the Jews themselves knew. 
You know, he, he began by taking him to the Old Testament. He brought the Old Testament and equated it to Christ and showed him how Jesus was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecy. They rejected it, and he quotes even more Scripture. I love the fact that these guys, again, the emphasis was on the Word of God. Verse 48. Then it says in 48, Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the Word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Now again, there's persecution, but what comes right on the heels of persecution? What if they had all ran home? If you faith anymore, we're going to, okay, okay, we're out of here. And they went home. They wouldn't have seen verse 48, which says what? Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as it had been appointed to eternal life believed. Many were saved. There was salvation that came to the Gentiles because of the faithful obedience of Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas didn't back down because they were afraid of men. They went ahead with God's calling on their life and said, Lord, you've called us, you've equipped us with your Holy Spirit, we're just going to keep sharing our faith. Whatever the circumstances or consequences may be, Lord, they're in your hands. Lord, we're going to go forward with you because what you've called us to do is way too important. And there, it says there, Appointed to eternal life, they believed. The word they're appointed is, is not talking necessarily about predestination. It's really talking about the grace offered to them and they responded to it. It was a response to, to the, the outreaching of salvation. I've said this before. God offers salvation universally, but it must be accepted individually. If I hold out a gift to you, I can offer it to you, but you must take it. And that's what God does with all of mankind. It is desired that none should perish, no, not one. But man must respond and reach out and accept that gift. And the, Gentile, the Jews, for the most part here, are rejecting the Messiah. But the Gentiles are reaching out. Many of them believed. But through persecution, they persevered and there was fruit. If you're here this morning and you're being persecuted for your faith, I don't think that, can I confess you something? I don't think in this country we truly understand that word. I mean, we think we're persecuted sitting on hard chairs in a cold room on a Sunday morning, right? I mean, we think persecution is, well, one of my neighbors won't talk to me anymore, you know? And we think we're being persecuted. And, you know, to a degree, that's true. I mean, maybe, you, you know, you could lose your job or you could have, lose some friendships. And that, in a sense, is persecution, but we don't understand the kind of persecution they're going through. We'll see in a moment. But know that if you are going through difficulty and you're facing resistance, that just means God's going to do something good. There'd be no resistance if there was going to be no fruit. And know that where there is fruit, there will be resistance. There's been resistance since we started this church three years ago downtown with five people. There's been resistance, but there's also been fruit. Look around. Amen? So God is so good. So we don't back away when, pers- when, when resistance comes. We just keep sharing, and that's what they did. But look what happens to them. Look at the response of the people. But look what it says in verse 49. That, so there's a point to eternal life, and the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. So they're obedient. People are getting saved. And now the word of God's being spread out through all the region. But if they had backed away when persecution had come, none of this would have happened. They had packed their bags and said, oh man, they don't want us here, let's leave. But they didn't do that. They were led by the Spirit, they persevered, and they continued to teach the Word. Faithfulness and obedience in the midst of persecution, and the Word of God spreads. New believers sharing their faith. Verse 50. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city and raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So what happened? They grabbed them and threw them out of the city. 
They showed up, they brought a crowd in, they grabbed these guys because they were teaching grace. Doesn't this blow you away? Their message was, there's a God who loves you and died for you and wants you to have eternal life. Get out of here! Doesn't it blow your mind you tell somebody God loves them and they get mad at you? Do you know that God loves you? Don't tell me that! I don't want to hear it. Whoa! I'm not asking for money. I'm just telling you that God loves you. But it blows my mind that people respond with, with venom and anger at a message of God loves you. Why? Because man doesn't want to give up the throne. Because man is so caught up in his flesh and his own desires and his own will. He doesn't want to hear about anything outside of himself that's greater than himself. He doesn't want to submit to anything. And these guys are taught the grace of God. And what do they do? Someone's teaching grace and love. And we see the the cities being transformed. And people are giving their lives to God. And they grab them and throw them out of the city. We can't have those Ten Commandments in there. We can't have kids praying in school. We can't say thou shalt not murder on the wall. I mean, that's infringing beliefs on kids. Well, do you believe we should murder? I don't get it. Why? You know, but here we see that, that with persecution, this persecution comes at them just teaching grace. We see the same thing happening today. There's nothing new under the sun. And so we see that they take them and they throw them out of the city. Why? Because they preach the gospel. The Jews, despite all their biblical evidence, still denied the Savior. They still had scales on their eyes. Verse 51. And they shook the dust off their feet against them and came to Iconium. Persecution didn't quiet the gospel. It just caused it to spread even more. You can't stop God's word. They can try to take all the prayer out of schools they want. They can do all the things in the world they want to, but the gospel will not be stopped. Amen? You can't stop God's word possible and so what happens is we see that they shook the dust off of their feet and this would have really enraged the jews because that's something they did when they went into gentile territory they felt they were defiled and they would shake the dust off of their feet now we see these guys shaking the dust off of their feet because the jews had rejected the bible had rejected the gospel had rejected god's word luke 9 jesus said whoever will not receive you when you go out of the city shake the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them and so they went out verse 52 And the disciples were filled with joy when the Holy Spirit. Now wait a minute. They're filled with joy in the Holy Spirit? What just happened to them? What just happened to them? This word for disciples could be speaking of the disciples in Antioch who were saved and also could pertain to Paul and Barnabas. But the disciples had just lost their teacher. But they still had joy. Why? Because they had been delivered the gospel. And why did Paul and Barnabas still have joy? They just got thrown out of the city. They were literally just taken and thrown out of the city, and they get up and they have joy. They've been eating too many Fruit Loops or what? What's up with these guys? Why do they have joy? Let me tell you why they have joy. And I want to encourage you with this. This is really something God put in my heart last night. That these guys in the midst of persecution and threats are filled with joy. How is that possible? Let me tell you how it's possible. They have an eternal perspective. What were they thrown out of? What is it that that would happen to them? It was something to them physically that will not last. And we see three things I want to point out to us on why they had joy. Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and what? Joy. When you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, then you have joy. And your joy is not based on your circumstances. Your joy is based on right standing before God. I'm in India... There's a family of four living in a 12 by 12 room with a cement floor and no AC or heat. And they're the happiest people I've ever seen. 
with the cutest kids who just love God and they're, they're sold out for the Lord because their joy is not based on their circumstances. Their joy is based on their right standing before God. The world cannot have joy apart from the Holy Spirit. And those of us who have the Holy Spirit should have joy regardless of our circumstances. And so we see here that they have joy, and that's because, one, the Holy Spirit lives inside of them. But second of all, the joy comes from the knowledge of their own salvation. I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was once blind, but now I see. I used to persecute the Christians, Paul might say, and now I'm one of them. I have the promise of heaven. How can I not have joy? But then thirdly, I want you to see this. The blessings and joy and eternal fruit of ministry far outweigh the persecution. Let me give you an example. Imagine those of you who are parents or grandparents. Your child or your grandchild is in a bad car accident. You get word and you run down to the hospital. When you get there, you find out the doctor tells you that your child is very near death and it doesn't look good. As you're talking to him, in runs another doctor and says, hey, there's a specialist that's here on the floor, and he can, he can do a special surgery that will save your son's life, but it, it requires a special equipment. He has it with him. It, it, it's it, it's you know, uh, very expensive, though. And you know what? Because this guy's so renowned and his fees are so high, your insurance won't cover it, but he can save your son's life. What would you do? Do the surgery, Right? Why? Because your child, this is my child. I don't care what it costs. I'll sell my house. I'll give you all my possessions. I'll borrow money and work the rest of my life if I have to to pay you back. Just heal my child. Because my child is so much more valuable than anything this world has to offer me. With that kind of perspective, that's the kind of perspective we would have as parents and grandparents. Isn't that true? That's the, amen? Isn't that the perspective you'd have? Whatever I have to do, sell it all. It doesn't matter. This is my child. Well, when we have a perspective that puts that first, our children first, there's nothing I own materially that's more important than that. And you know what? From a spiritual perspective, there's nothing more important than seeing people come to know Jesus Christ. Nothing. And these guys are walking out of there with joy. Why? Because many had believed. Because there were people that didn't know the Lord when they got there, but they know the Lord now. The whole city had heard the gospel, so they got thrown out of the city. No big deal. So I got thrown on the ground. That's all right. The whole city heard the gospel. And there's people there that we're going to see in heaven. And there's people that know Jesus Christ now. So it's okay. It's all perspective. My child is more valuable than anything I own. And you know what? Seeing people come to know Christ is way more important than what happens to me physically. It's just not that big a deal. Whatever it takes, Lord. Again, in India, these guys face a lot of persecution. But you know what's amazing to me? Is I spoke to hundreds of these, I taught 150 of them, and I never heard them talk about persecution. I only heard it from the leader of the school. They never, you know what they talked about? People who got saved. They never said, oh yeah, you know, I got, you know, I got, I got, guy threw me on the ground and beat me with rods and they kicked me and I had to go to the hospital and I'm spitting out blood. That could have happened, but they, what they'd be saying is, and this 15-year-old girl gave her life to the Lord. That's all they talked about. Why? Because the beating was nothing in comparison with the fruit that it produced. They said, hey, it's, it's worth it. It's okay. And that's why these guys went away with great joy. Because they were looking at all the people who'd given their lives to the Lord, not the fact that they physically had suffered a little bit. In comparison to eternity, it was nothing. And they went out with incredible joy. 
You know, ministry requires sacrifice. You have less leisure time, sometimes less physical comfort, often results in persecution, loss of friends and jobs and popularity before men. But the fruit and eternal significance of ministry far outweighs the physical cost. I don't want to portray that I'm persecuted at all in a sense uh, compared to the world. And sometimes it's hard when I leave my house, like last night, and my son says to me, Daddy, can't you just stay home and play with me? Can't you just, no, son, I need to go study. No, that's not persecution, but it's just a choice. But you know what? Those choices we make, those who get up early and come to set up chairs or, or you go and share your faith at work or whatever it might be, and you have to choose to do that. You have to choose to spend time studying or preparing, whatever it might be. When you look and you see the fruit, it far outweighs that what you sacrifice to see the fruit there. Far outweighs it. And that's what these guys understood. And that's why they went away with great joy. Let's go to chapter 14. So we see here now that they go away and they go on to yet another city. And there's going to be yet another divine appointment waiting for them. They go out of that city and say, praise the Lord. God did great things there. Let's just move on. They didn't quit. They didn't give up. They said, we have another opportunity, another divine appointment. Let's go talk to somebody else. Verse 14, chapter 14. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of Jews and, Gentile, and, Jews and Greeks, believed. So they're thrown out of Antioch. Paul and Barnabas come to Iconium. Again, they didn't go home. Iconium was about 50 miles away. It was a place filled with Jews and Greeks and Romans. Again, a province of Galatia. And they went into the synagogue, which was their tradition. They went right to the Jews first. They've, they've got the Old Testament. They're prepared to hear the gospel. They're prepared to, to point them to Jesus Christ. They walk right into the synagogue. And what do they do? They spoke that a great multitude, both Jews and Gentiles, believed. So they went again into the synagogue and they taught, taught God's word. Different city, different audience, same message. Same message. The gospel. Does it matter? They were talking to Jews or Greeks or Gentiles or Romans, gospel. Doesn't matter if we're talking to the upwardly mobile in the corporate structure or the homeless guy on the street, the gospel. It doesn't matter if we're talking to people in the south or talking to people in Santa Cruz or talking to people in India, the gospel. The message doesn't change. And these guys go in and they share the gospel and many believe. Now I love this. They were tossed out of Antioch after many had believed. And all they did was propel them right into the next mission field. We're just going to throw you right out of the city. And they went, okay, shook the dust off, went into Iconium, went into the synagogue, preached the gospel, and many more people believed. Man, I love God's plan. Sometimes we look at persecution and we say, woe is me. We ought to realize that maybe I lost my job because God wants to take me to another place where he's going to let me share my faith there. Maybe there's some people waiting over at this new place I'm going to work that need to hear about the Lord. The people where I used to work know them. Let's go over here now. God is sovereign. He's in control. Nothing happens by chance in His kingdom. And so they go to Iconium and they preach the same message. It didn't matter they'd been persecuted before. They didn't dial it down. Remember last time what happened? Hey, Barney, come here, man. You know what? Dude, let's, let's, you know, let's kind of soft shoe it a little, man. I mean, you know, I've still got some scars on my shoulder. You know, man, let's, let's just dial it down a bit because they probably won't like us here if we keep, you know, they didn't do that. They said, Lord, you called us. You've sent us by your Spirit. We're going to love these people enough to share with them the whole truth. Verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews, there they are again. Fruitfulness, what comes right behind it? Persecution. 
It says, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Once again, the fruit came, and right behind it came persecution. They sought to sabotage their ministry. They spoke out against them. They spread lies and gossip about them. And the enemy will always try to quiet the truth. The more you speak for the Lord, the more you're going to have people say bad things about you. I get phone calls in the office sometimes, and people don't like your pastor very much. We're on the radio now. Five days a week. And some people call and they're not real happy with me. And I just love them. Sometimes they're screaming about me. They don't know they're talking to me. Right? That guy, you know, he did, you know, he got it. And I'm, I'm, oh, well, okay. And you better tell him. And, all right, you know. He better, I'm, okay, you know. And they're not happy with me. But if they're not happy with me because of my personality, then I need to repent. But if they're not happy with me because I tell them that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Who do you think you are saying Jesus is the only way? We can get there on our own. No, well, no, you can't. And you know what? It's okay. Because if we never had any phone calls having a problem with our radio program, then we're not preaching the gospel. Amen? And so we see here that these guys go in and share, and right behind them, there, come, there comes the opposition. It must be, all right, we must be doing something right. We must be doing something for the Lord, because here they come again. Verse 3. Therefore, they stayed there a long time. I love this. The, the guys came and persecuted and started saying bad things about him and started mocking them and, and lying about him, and then they went away and, and, and took their ball and went home. That's not what happened. It says they stayed there a long time. They're going after him. Ah, oh, it's okay. Persecute us because we see that one life going into heaven is worth whatever you will do to us physically. It just doesn't matter in comparison with eternity. It says they stayed there a long time speaking boldly in the Lord who is bearing witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So they stayed, and what did God do? God allowed them to perform miracles and to heal people that the message they were sharing would be solidified in the hearts of people. Now, miracles does not produce faith because faith comes by the word, always. But miracles can hold up someone's faith, can be an encouragement to their faith. And he solidified their message by allowing them to perform miracles. Now, if they had run home, they would have missed the miracles. If they had run home, they would have missed those being added to the kingdom of God. If we back away when things get tough, that's when it's going to get good, guys. Can I encourage you? When things start getting difficult, know that God's going to do great things. So they stayed longer, and God granted them the ability to do the miraculous. Verse 4, but the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. When you speak God's word, there's going to be division. Maybe in your own family right now. Maybe you've got people in your family that have a heart for God and people that don't. And I'm not saying, please, please understand me. We should never be self-righteous. We should never look down on an unbeliever because there before the grace of God goes you and I. We should look down on them with a broken heart and a passion to see them know God. But know that if you speak God's word, it will bring division. Thanksgiving, a few days away. Many of you will be joining with family. Can I encourage you? Share the love of God with your family. Do it in a loving way, but share with them the love of God and His grace and His mercy. And sometimes it will bring division, but if we love them, how can we just sit there when they don't know God? And so they preached the truth. They preached the gospel of grace, and some believed and some rejected it. And that will always be the case. Verse 5. And then a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them. Now again, they stayed. They kept teaching the Word. And now these guys come in and start trying to stone them to death. Start trying to abuse them. 
The message was God's love and God's grace, and it incited a riot. I've never seen anything like it. There's nothing else. You can talk in any other name, and people don't get so upset. But you start talking about Jesus, and people get bent out of shape. Why? It just proves, again, that it's the cross of Christ that transforms lives. And so they began to say, when they became aware of it, they fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region. So now I believe, moved by the Holy Spirit, the first threats came, they didn't move. And now they've shared the word of God, and people are holding up stones against them. And I believe the Holy Spirit now says, okay, guys, it's time to go. You've shared the word, they've heard it. Many have believed. There's division now. There's those who are following the Lord, and they went out. And look what verse 7 says. And they were preaching the gospel there. Duh. So what happens? The gospel, don't you love how Satan's almost planning their mission trip for them? You see what's happening here? They get persecuted. They're going to still, all right, well, let's just go to the next city. And they start preaching the gospel again. And now there's just revival everywhere they go. These guys stay until it's, God says go, and, and the whole city's being turned upside down. The Jews start attacking them. All right, we'll just go to the next city. And they start preaching there. And so now they've, they've reached Iconium, and now they're going to come into Lystra. Look at verse 8. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple with his mother's, from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently, seeing that he had faith to be healed, said in a loud voice, Stand up, straight out your feet, and he leapt and walked. Now, I love this. He goes into Lystra. Now, Lystra is a Roman province in Galatia. It's about 18 miles southwest of Iconium. It was the home of a young man by the name of Timothy. Okay? Keep that in mind. Now, he goes in this Gentile nation, and there's no synagogue there because there's no Jews. So he has no synagogue to preach in. So what does Paul do? What does it say there? Paul was what? Speaking. I believe Paul's in the market. Paul's on the street. Paul's just telling, there's no synagogue, there's no church, there's no event. I'll just go wherever there's people. And I'll start sharing the love of God with them. And Paul goes out and he's sharing the love of God and somebody overhears Paul's conversation. The person in front of him on the plane, if you will, right? Here's the conversation and listens to Paul's words, then observing him, Paul turns around and sees him. And he, and he looks and he senses by, by the power of the Holy Spirit, giving him discernment, that this man has the faith to be made well. And Paul responds. And Paul says to him, Stand up, straight, straight on your feet. Now that's a hard command for a guy who's never stood up before. Guy's been crippled his entire life, and here's Paul speaking the wonderful works of God, teaching about God's grace. And he turns around, and Paul sees him and has discernment, has compassion upon him. That's another sign of someone being filled with the Spirit of the living God. They have compassion for those who are hurting. He turns and sees him and says, stand up. And the man responds, how? In faith. And look what happens. He stands up, and he leaped, and he walked. I bet this guy's really glad that they were trying to stone these guys in Iconium. The crippled guy was like, praise the Lord for that persecution. Because you wouldn't have come here and I'd still be laying on the ground right now. Praise God, because sometimes, again, we look at persecution and we view it as coming against us, but it can be God's mighty hand moving us in His perfect direction for His perfect will. May we look different at persecution going forward. May we not look at it as, oh, woe is me, but say, praise the Lord. God's going to do something great. It just means that God is using what is happening with me. 
So the man stood up, and that would be an instant testimony to all who were around. And once again, the hearing came by what? It was the Word of God. Because he said to him, stand to your feet. Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian languages, the gods have come to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in the front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. So, before they're persecuted, and if persecution won't work, guess what Satan's next tactic will be? Pride. If I can't get you to stop because you're being persecuted, I'm just going to puff you up to the point where you're ineffective. Now, this city was known because they had a huge temple to Zeus. They had a huge temple to the god Zeus. Reminds me of India. Lakshmi, the sixth-armed god of, of financial wealth. People living in squalor, and they got these temples and shrines to this idol, and people are buying idols from a little stand. I'm like a medium-sized god. How much does that go for? You know? and, and it was really sad. It broke my heart. But that's what was going on here. They were, uh, they were worshiping Zeus. Well, they come into the city, and when they get there, they perform a miracle, and they go, oh, it must be Zeus. Now, I have to confess, there's at least a part of you guys that if someone came and called you Zeus, you'd be like, well, okay. You know, I mean, the flesh is like, well, yeah, I'm pretty yoked. Yeah, that's true. You know, I mean, and you see here that that could be the temptation. And, you know, persecution's not working. Let's puff them up. Let's go and tell them they're gods. And Paul and Barnabas could have said, well, hey, this might even be an effective tool for ministry. Let's let them think that we're gods. And then we, they can treat us like gods for a year or two. But then in the meantime... You know, we'll just be preparing them. Then we'll share the gospel. Once we're living in the... They didn't do that. They were called by God. And they didn't fall to persecution, and they weren't going to fall to pride either. They weren't going to let men puff them up. And so how do they respond? You know, the priest comes, and he he brings an ox. They're going to sacrifice to Paul and to Barnabas. And when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out, saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men, the same nature as you, and preach to you that you should turn from your useless things to a living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all the things that are in them. I love this. They don't preach the Old Testament to these guys because they don't know the Old Testament. They're not Jews. So what do they take them to? Creation. They say, guys, we're just men like you. It's God that you must serve. They reflect all glory away from themselves and point it all to the Creator. And it's too easy for us. May we be careful that we never take glory, even when we do, you know, we can do things and there can be fruit and we can want to take credit. Without Him, we can do what? And nothing in Greek means nothing. Okay? Without Him, we can do nothing. And so, why do we take praise for what God is doing? And so these guys come and say, it's not us, it's God who did it. Look to Him. Get your eyes on Him. And then they point to creation. I love these guys' hearts. They don't want to touch the glory. If you've been around Wednesday nights, you know what happens when you touch the glory. Priest touched the ark, what happened to him? Got smoked, right? Don't touch the glory. To Him alone be the glory. We're almost through. Verse 16. 
who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. This God that you don't know, He's been a gracious God and a merciful God. Nevertheless, He did not leave Himself without witness in that He did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. This God that you don't even know, let me tell you a little bit about Him. He's the one that's been reigning upon the earth. He's the one that's been providing for you even though you're ignorant to who He is. He's the one that loves you, that created you, that's been taking care of you. Don't look at me. Let me tell you about the true and the living God. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitude from sacrificing to them. So what does the crowd want to do? They hear the words and like, oh, we got to sacrifice to these guys. They continue to press in and they continue to desire to still bless them and to still elevate them and to still sacrifice to them. But watch the fickleness of man. They want to do it and Paul won't let them do it. Don't, no, you're not sacrificing. No, you're not. He's tearing his clothes. Don't sacrifice to me. I'm just a man. Don't call me a God. I just told you about the true and living God. So then what do they do to Paul? Then the Jews, here, here it comes again. So he preaches the gospel. Who comes right in behind it? Here they come. Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium, they're just following them around. Throw them out of that city, chase them to the next one. Throw them out of that city, chase them to the next one. So they come in and it says, the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Now, is Paul being faithful to what God's called him to do? Absolutely. So that means he's on the cruise ship to heaven. Everything's going to be perfect now because I'm serving the Lord my whole heart. Right? There's going to be no more problems in my life. I'm going to have, you know, like the name and the client, I'm going to have $50 million in my bank account and I'll be driving a Rolls Royce. I'll be sleeping on a, you know, you know, and you know, that's what the world says. And he goes out, he's just faithful to what God's called him to do. He's obedient and right behind fruitfulness, right behind his obedience to teach the word comes persecution. They take Paul outside the city and they throw big rocks at him until he's dead. Does that sound like persecution? They take you outside the city and they chain you up to a post and they pick up, we're not throwing BBs or pebbles at you. These are stones. And they throw them at Paul and they leave him there for dead. Now, we don't know whether he died or not. I personally believe he's dead and that God raises him up. But you know what? You're indestructible until God is through with you. If God's not done with you, there's nothing man can do to you. And so... Paul, in his faithfulness, he, he touches this man, and this man is now walking around, and he shares his faith, and they wanted to worship him as a god, and when he wouldn't let him worship him as a god, they stoned him. What does this sound like? Remember when Jesus went in on Palm Sunday? What did they, what did they say? Hosanna. Save now, we pray you. Glory to God in the highest, right? This is on Sunday. What did they do to him on Friday? They crucified him. They elevated him as God, and then they put him to death five days later. Paul, they want to make him a God. He won't accept it, so they stone him. The Jews come in and say, we got to kill this guy. So they stone him. Look at verse 20. However, when the disciples gathered around, he rose up and went into the city. i got to love Paul. <laughs> Paul, you can come to my church anytime you want. Paul's laying on the ground. The people gather around him. I believe they begin to pray for him. I, I believe it's a key to fellowship. When we've gone through difficulty, we need fellowship. We need those to get around us and pray for us and encourage us and love on us. Amen? 
And so we see that happening, and Paul raises up, and what does he do? He says, dude, that was rough, you know? I'm done. I'm, I'm ready for a sabbatical. Let's go on vacation. And you know, let's go down to the coast for a while and go fishing. And what does he do? He goes right back into the city. These guys just stoned him and left him for dead. He gets up and goes right back in there. How do you stop a guy like that? You don't. When the Holy Spirit is in you, you don't care. Hey, people heard the God. We're going back in there. We're not done. And he went right back in there. Man. Gotta love a guy like Paul. Guy just so totally listening and, and heeding God's word. And it says they rose up and went into the city. And he no doubt preached the gospel. And the next day with Barnabas, they went to Derby. Couple minutes, I'm sorry. Verse 21. And when they preached the gospel in that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. So they go into that city and a bunch of people get saved in Derby. And now they go back, lastly, to visit the cities they'd already been to to encourage the saints. They go back to to Lystra. What happened to him in Lystra? Lystra. He was stoned there. What happened to him in Iconium? Thrown out into the street. What happened to him in Antioch? They were persecuted, threatened. And what does he do? He goes right back there to check on the believers because he's not worried about his own well-being, but he's worried about them. This is 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. He went back and told the disciples, do you think that the church that Paul left behind faced persecution? If they're stoning Paul, do you think they might be going after the church? Of course they are. And he says, guys, it's okay. Tribulation is going to come. You just be steadfast. He went back and encouraged them. Verse 23. So when they had anointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So he goes back. He raises up church leadership. He makes sure that he didn't just make converts. He's fulfilling the Great Commission. He wants to make disciples. So he raises up elders and pastors in every church and says, you guys keep ministering to these guys. You keep equipping them. And you be steadfast in the Word and steadfast in fellowship and the breaking of bread. You just keep doing that in prayer. And then it says, that, let me read out the rest of the verses here. It says, and after that, after they had passed through Pisidia and through Pamphylia, then when they preached the word in Perga, they came down to Attilia. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, that He had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time, with the disciples. So what did they do last? They went back home after this journey and all these cities they've been in and they go home and they tell the church, let me tell you what God's doing out there. Let me encourage you. You've been praying for me. Let me, let me share with you the blessings. The Gentiles are, are giving their lives to God. So in review, faithfulness and persecution often go hand in hand. When, you, when we live our lives like the first century church and we walk in the Spirit and we have eternal focus, we will share our faith with boldness, but we also will experience persecution. But it's through that persecution that we trust more and more in our Savior. I've got a lot of phone calls this week from some of you going through some heavy-duty trials. Can I encourage you? You're not alone. The Lord loves you. And through this, you will come out closer to Him. And isn't that what it's all about? And when you come out closer to Him, you'll be a greater testimony for Him. Faithfulness, fruitfulness, and persecution typically go hand in hand, but it just means God's using you. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You for the example that we see in the Bible of 
just the faithfulness of these men to continue to preach your word in the face of persecution. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us in a city that's not friendly to your name and people around us that don't really have a love for you. But help us, Father God, to be faithful to what you've called us to do, which is to fulfill the Great Commission, to go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. Lord, that Santa Cruz is our Jerusalem. May we be faithful here. May we love these people so much and share with them your truth and your love and your grace. Father, may you bring revival here. And Lord, when persecution comes, may we not back down or walk away, but may we realize it just means that you're going to do something great. May we praise you in the midst of persecution. And as we go through trials, Lord, may it cause us to cling tighter to you, to be fully dependent upon you. So Lord, we love you and we praise you and we just ask that you would give us the same passion and the same heart that Paul and Barnabas had. Lord, we know the source of that is the infilling of your Holy Spirit. So Lord, just pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Help us to walk in boldness and in love. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.